Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by Lee Jeep with the new Jeep Wrangler and Grand Cherokee 4xE plug-in hybrid models at Lee Jeep in Auburn and Westbrook. LeeAuto.com. This is Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Erwin Gratz, back after lending our political team to the Maine Calling Crew. Joining me are Chief Political Correspondent and State House Bureau Chief Steve Missler and State House Reporter Kevin Miller. There's still a lot to learn from this month's election, and not just by the candidates. Outside groups have been investing millions of dollars in campaigns, 20 million in Maine's gubernatorial race. Steve, was all of that spending effective? Well, Erwin, it's it's always difficult to measure the efficacy of ads, especially when you're talking about $20 million worth. You know, at some point, voters just tune that stuff out. Uh, that said, I think we can safely say that one group spending was especially ineffective based on the results of the election and who that group was attempting to reach. That spending was by Maine Families First, a, a front group for the American Principles Project, which is a national conservative group that's taken a keen interest in trying to frame LGBTQ books and teachings as indoctrination tools. APP spent nearly $3 million uh, this year attacking Democratic Governor Janet Mills. Several of its ads falsely claimed that Mills supported raising the state's gas tax, but its most specious and inflammatory messaging asserted that the governor was indoctrinating Maine school kids with LGBTQ teachings. Now, the goal of this campaign was to replicate the success that APP had during last year's gubernatorial race in Virginia, where parent angst over public school curriculum proved to be a decisive issue in the Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin's victory. However, the effort in Maine appears to have had little effect on the outcome. Mills uh, dominated former Governor Paula Page in the Portland suburbs and surrounding communities, and she won in traditionally conservative-leaning areas like Gray, precisely the type of locations that APP needed to be susceptible to its messaging if it was going to help LePage win. So based on the results, I think it's pretty clear that APP's efforts here were a bust. And some national reporting suggests that its efforts in other states were also a failure. Overall, it's estimated that conservative groups like APP spent more than $50 million nationwide on these issues, and they really had little to show for it. Interesting. Well, elections, some politicians like to say, have consequences, and the first usually involve the politicians themselves. Democratic and Republican members of the new legislature have now gathered to pick their leaders. Kevin, who is in and who's out? Yeah, that's right, Erwin. We saw changes at most of the top legislative leadership positions. Uh, the most significant or, I guess, historic was in the House, where on Thursday, the Democrats nominated Representative Rachel Talbot Ross to be Speaker of the House. She'll be the first Black legislator to ever hold that position when she is officially elected by the full House in the first week of December. And what's fascinating here is that her nomination comes 50 years after her father, Gerald Talbot, became the first Black legislator ever elected to the main legislature. And she's, that's certainly a history that she alluded to on Thursday during her nominating speech and, and afterwards. Representative Talbot Ross, she's been a, a fixture in Maine's civil rights and social justice campaigns for you know, a couple of decades now. And since she was elected to the legislature six years ago, she's been a very vocal advocate on programs to help low-income Mainers on criminal justice reform and on tribal sovereignty. She was the lead sponsor of that sovereignty bill that that didn't pass. Now, what 
will be interesting to watch here is what happens on some of these topics. She could elevate them as House Speaker, but she's sometimes clashed with Governor Mills, who's a former prosecutor and attorney general um, on issues, especially on criminal justice reform and tribal sovereignty. The House Speaker and the Senate president have to run their chambers, which means managing a lot of these issues that are important to both parties. I actually asked Representative Talbot Ross about her priorities on Thursday, and and here's what she said. My priorities are what the caucus uh, decides as the priorities. My priorities are what the entire House of Representatives determine. We have not had any of those uh, talks yet, and so I will wait and join my colleagues in deciding what priorities we set for the next uh, legislature. Uh, Republicans, meanwhile, they elected Representative Billy Bob Falkingham of Winter Harbor and Representative Amy Arada of New Gloucester as their leaders. Falkingham is a, is a lobsterman and Representative Arada has become a pretty influential conservative voice in the legislature because of the position she's held on the Budget Writing Committee and on government oversight. Well, how about over in the state Senate? Yeah, we talked a lot in the past few months about Senate President Troy Jackson's race up in Arista County because of how much attention that got and how much spending, more than a million dollars, which is you know absolutely unprecedented here in Maine. He won, and Democrats uh, retained control of the Senate, so he's on track to stay stay on as Senate President. And Democrats also kept their own their other two leaders, uh, Senators um, Eloise Vitelli of Arousic and Maddie Daughtry of Brunswick. Republicans went in a whole different direction, even though their current leaders were reelected. So Senator uh, Trey Stewart, who's a 28-year-old attorney from Presque Isle, he'll be the um, Republican minority leader. And Senator Lisa Keim from Western Maine, who's also fairly young, but is a a seasoned legislator at this point, she'll be the assistant minority leader. It's an interesting uh, geographic split there. Uh, Democratic leaders all came from Lewiston Point South and the Republican leaders uh, North and West. Yeah, except Troy Jackson. But the, what's interesting there is now we're going to have two Arista County boys basically leading the Senate on, on from both parties mm-hmm. between Troy Jackson right. from uh, Allagash and Trey Stewart from Presque Isle. Well, while the election is over, the uh, vote counting is not in some races. Uh, Steve, what still remains uh, to be decided? Well, Erwin, Wednesday was the deadline for campaigns to request a hand count or hand recount, and three have done so. Each one involves legislative races, two in the House and one in the Senate. None of these will affect the balance of power in either chamber because Democrats have already secured enough seats to uh, retain majorities, even if all these races were to go to Republicans. Uh, Of the three, the most high profile of the races is the Auburn uh, Senate District contest between Republican Eric Brakey and Democrat Betty Ann Sheets. According to unofficial results, Brakey leads Sheets by 184 votes. That seems like a pretty big margin to be overturned in a recount, but you you know you, you just never know. There's another recount in a House district representing part of Auburn where Democratic candidate Kathleen Shaw leads Republican James Sorcheck by 55 votes according to unofficial results. And the third recount will determine whether Democratic candidate Dana Reed or Republican Barbara Bragshaw will represent House District 106, which covers part of Wyndham. Bragshaw holds a 26-vote lead, according to unofficial results. So the recount schedule has not yet been released by the Secretary of State, but the hand counts will likely occur over the next couple of weeks because the new legislature will be sworn in on December 7th, and they want to get this stuff settled before that happens.
Well, things do move pretty quickly now for the new legislature. There's going to be a day soon at the state house when legislators gather for pomp, family picture taking, and the issuing of legislative license plates. And then next month, legislators will have to submit any ideas they have for bills they want to introduce to the new legislative session. Uh, Kevin, there are plenty of major issues that will require legislative action. Yeah, that's right. Right, in, right at the top of the agenda has to be energy issues. Heating oil prices are, are rising again after coming down for a few weeks. And right now, the average is about 571 a gallon. And kerosene, which some people with outdoor tanks rely on, that's over $7 a gallon. All this is, of course, coming at a time when the economy is doing pretty well. But you know, people's paychecks are not rising nearly as fast as inflation for everything else. So, so people are hurting. There's enormous demand for assistance programs, far more than the amount of money that's available. And there's real concern that this is going to be a, a deadly winter for people. On, on top of all that is the electricity prices. The supply side of most Mainers electricity bills are going to jump about uh, more than 40% next year under the new rates that were adopted by the PUC this week. That's because the, the cost of natural gas is so high globally right now, and New England generates more than half of its electricity from natural gas. But those bills could go even higher because the state's two big, big utilities, CMP and Versant, are asking to increase the distribution portion of their bills as well next year. So you know, the question here is, what will the Mills administration and lawmakers do about all this? So far, we've, we've heard everybody pledge to take action as soon as uh, next month when the legislature convenes on December 7th. And the Mills administration says it's putting together proposals for lawmakers, but we haven't seen any specifics. So it's it's unclear what they're going to do, but there's certainly an appetite and understanding that something has to be done and done pretty quickly because we're, we're barreling right into to winter now. Well, there was a, a moment of bipartisanship in the U.S. Senate this week. Steve, what prompted that? So ever since the conservative majority on the U.S. Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, there have been some concerns among supporters of same-sex marriage that it might do the same and overturn a 2015 ruling that effectively guaranteed that same-sex couples have a right to marry. The way to preempt such a decision is to codify that in federal law, and that's what the U.S. Senate moved to do this week. It gave initial approval to a bill backed by Republican Senator Susan Collins, who's a, a lead sponsor, and independent Senator Angus King, that provides federal protections for same-sex marriages. Now, Democrats are fast-tracking this proposal because they want to get it done while they still have full control of Congress, which they will not have when Republicans take control of the House. The Senate voted 62 to 37 on Wednesday uh, to end debate on the bill, which is an important step because it avoids the possibility of a filibuster. And 12 Republicans backed that motion, which bodes well for final passage. Another vote in the Senate is needed, as well as one in the House, before the bill goes to President Joe Biden for his signature. This bill is an overhauled version of, of Democratic legislation that Republicans had rejected on religious liberty grounds. So Collins and Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin are the lead sponsors of this amended version, which was designed to garner GOP support by assuaging concerns that uh, federal protections for same-sex marriage won't infringe on objections to those unions by religious groups. So um, it, it seems like it's in good shape for passage. 
It just needs to get through the lame duck session. Well, that's Chief Political Correspondent Steve Missler, along with Statehouse reporter Kevin Miller, and that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. We usually update this podcast on Fridays, though we won't be doing that next week because of the holiday. Part of the podcast airs on All Things Considered on Friday afternoons, and you can get more detail in the Maine's Political Pulse newsletter that's issued every Friday morning. You can find it on mainepublic.org, and while you're there, you can have it emailed to you as well. Music is by Rob Holt. I'm Erwin Grants. We'll be back soon with another edition of Maine's Political Pulse.